louder. For whatever reason, the headphones are louder today. So they are feeling they it. Are, they are groove. very much here. We are very much in there. Um, so all the noises that we weren't hearing before, we will hear now. So we're, we will we're be silent the, ninjas of audio. Together. That being said, uh, we have a correction this week, as is tradition. Oh, um, is this the super meta? Yes. This is the. Okay. Oh yeah, no, this is the best. No, I need to get out in front of this one. Oh really? You need to get out in front I of this need one. To get out. So, well, let's get. Well, let's first things first. Let's get out in front of this one. Rain at Ravenstorm on Twitter. Thank you for pointing this out. Thank you so much because it makes me so happy that this correction has to happen. Oh, uh, so last week we made a comment. Uh, we this referenced to someone, some idiot somewhere, saying something about he didn't carry assault weapons in a foreign country so he could have him murdered here, yada yada. I think I made an offhand joke that it was uh, Eric Eric Cantor or something like that, or and one of those. Jason Cantor. Jason Cantor, that's right. Uh, and uh, and we left it at that. Now... Which it does sound very it much does. like Jason Now, who is it actually, David? <sighs> Mayor Pete Buttgig. Geek, but but a gig, but a chug, but a chug, but a chug, that a chug, that a chug. Now, why is this very, very funny to us, David? Oh, okay, okay. So you have to understand, David forgets things. Uh huh. Yeah, we all know the history. Yeah, time is a flat circle. You, David you, forgets all, things. Uh huh. And sometimes in social media, mm-hmm. David will mean to type something and and or look it back at it later. I think that's a good point. And then when it comes up in the podcast later, David will say it. This idea of David's that never got typed out in a tweet. So it's definitely not David reading his own tweet that he forgot about from three years ago. Yeah, so 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 that was a long, winding way of saying David replied to this exact tweet when it happened and still forgot the same who it was. Comment with and the forgot same who it was. Comment and just completely oh, blasted past the fact that it's fucking forgot. butt chug and we missed our opportunity to dunk on him then. So thank you, Rain, for letting us dunk on him now. You are a you are a A plus comrade. In the Hall of Fame, up there with Stalin on yes, the wall right now. Yes, because I was I was dunking on Butt Chug on Twitter two years before he was a thing, and then I said my own damn reply tweet, not remembering I said it, and not remembering who it was. Uh, Just, this also forwards hurts. my theory that David is paying people to run his Twitter account for him. Uh, <laughs> this this forwards my my theory that he has a whole staff like uh, what's his face They're Mike Oompa he, he has a bunch of Mike Gravel Chapo boys running his Twitter account for him. Just the tanky equivalent. <laughs> Uh, that be- is that how you say that? I thought it was just gravel. Oh, I no, I say gravel because it's I don't know. Mike gravel sounds terrifying <laughs> to me, and I don't want to. I don't want to think of a world that exists in. Um, it so it's just a rock with a mustache. It really might as well. I mean, honestly, yeah, he uh, does. I mean, I uh, yeah, you know he does have actual CIA history, so he, and he has, freaks me out anyway. Yeah, he's got all sorts of things and stuff. Hey, yeah. we're doing a thing with a book and stuff. Yeah, book time, book time. It's book called time. imperialism. We've read three chapters. Canonically, yes. that means we're doing chapter four. Believe it or not, that is how numbers work. That is well. I mean, it, they, numbers can do whatever you want them to do. But but in our in our fun non Tarantino universe, we're gonna do these in order. Yes. So last time we left you with one of Lennon's beautiful transitions and us just chatting it up afterward like it wasn't. Also, the most angry I've ever been ever in a period of time in my life. Like I I I I I, I hate murdered some people in D and D that night. The next day, just just to just to get that out. I'm pretty sure chapter three of imperialism is the maddest I've ever been about anything. Okay, so anyway, so chapter four, um, I'm not gonna make some terrible Game of Thrones reference when I don't even watch that show, but I know what happened. We all that do. Made everybody mad. Twitter exists. Twitter exists. 
<laughs> so anyway, chapter four is the export of capital, as uh, as the last transition would tell you. Um, so the export of capital under the old type of capitalism, when the free competition prevailed, the export of goods was the most typical feature. I do love how right off the bat we're like, <laughs> you remember when capitalism was that thing that they keep claiming it is? That was fun. <laughs> that was quaint, right? Yeah, neat. Nineteen oh nineteen like. 15s. Fuck yeah. off. Remember, remember capitalism pretended to be something else? That was cute. Now it, now it extra sucks. So, uh, under modern capitalism, and this was modern capitalism at the beginning of the 20th century, of course, mm-hmm. uh, when monopolies prevail, the export of capital has become a typical feature. So if that's modern capitalism, are we in postmodern capitalism? Oh, and if so, can we get fuck, Foucault involved? No, I Can just, we find a way? I... All economies are like prisons? I don't know. Nathan's smart-ass comments are prisons. God damn it. This is the chapter where I don't have to know things. I just have to be snarky. You know what? You know what's sad is the entire point of this chapter is that the export of capital is a prison. Ah! Yes! God damn it. It's Foucault all the way down. God damn it. You bald French motherfucker. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing could just go my way for one episode. God damn it. Nope. This is your closet of sadness. So Lenin continues, uh, the uh, or the capitalism is commodity production at the highest stage of development when labor power itself becomes a commodity. The growth of internal exchange and particularly of inter- international exchange is a special feature of capitalism. The uneven and spasmodic character of the development of individual enterprises, of individual branches of industry and individual countries is inevitable under the capitalist system. England became a capitalist country before any other, and Lenin, if you can't tell, is going to turn to England for his example in this chapter. Because he fanboys Marx and... Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely (laughs) fanboy. But, I mean, England's a good example. It's a solid example. Yes. Uh, And in the middle of the 19th century, having adopted free trade, claimed to be the workshop of the world, the great purveyor of manufactured goods to all countries, uh, which in exchange were to keep her supplied with raw materials. So, again, you know... England gets to get all the value of its labor by ripping the raw materials out of the global south, and it's exchanging it back. Here, here's everything you need. Let me take your raw materials away. So now we're seeing like a siphoning of wealth from English colonies. Um, In the last quarter of the 19th century, this monopoly was already undermined. Other countries protecting themselves by tariff walls had developed into independent capitalist countries. Also, has anyone anyone given Trump the idea of tariff walls yet? Because it seems like he combines his two favorite things in the world, and I just want <laughs> I think, him to build build a big, beautiful tariff wall with China. I, I was going to say, I think China he's already trying to do that. I mean, very well, the, maybe. Yeah, they're trying to arrest like Huawei CEOs to, to build I, tariff walls. That's so just the funniest so, yeah, dumb wa- shit in the history of time. Wa- Huawei is getting hit with his tariff ice, and then he's building tariff walls. He's, yeah, it's he's, solid. Yeah, goddamn toupees working. So anyway... Uh, Oh, there we go. On the threshold of the 20th century, we see a new type of monopoly coming into existence. Coming coming into existence. First, there are monopolists... (laughs) On the threshold of the 20th century, we see a new type of monopoly coming into existence. First, there are monopolist capitalist combines in all advanced capitalist countries. Secondly, a few rich countries in which accumulation of capital reaches gigantic proportions occupy a monopolist position. An enormous superfluity of capital has has accumulated in the advanced countries. 
So, so much capital, they don't know what to do with it. It's it's extra. It's excess. It's flowing it, from it, it's, the it, top yeah, of the cups. Yeah, it's the it's the fun Bill Gates. I, I can't spend all my money. I'm trying. I tried to give it away, and it just keeps coming back. It's, yeah, it's, Jeff, it's, Jeff Bezos. I don't know what to do with my money. Fuck it. Let's launch something let's into space. Let's go to space. Yeah. Uh, it goes without saying that if capitalism could develop agriculture, which today lags far behind industry everywhere, if it could raise the standard of living of the masses, who are everywhere still poverty-stricken and underfed, in spite of the amazing advance in, techni- in technical knowledge, there could be no talk of superfluity of capital. This argument, he puts in air quotes, the petty bourgeois critics of capitalism advance on every occasion. But if capitalism did these things, it would not be capitalism. For uneven development and wretched conditions of the masses are fundamental and inevitable conditions and the premises of this mode of production. As long as capitalism remains what it is, surplus capital will never be utilized for the purpose of raising the standard of living of the masses of a given country. For this would mean a decline in profits for capitalists. It will be used for the purpose of increasing those profits by exporting capital abroad to the backwards countries. In these backwards countries, profits are usually high, for capital is scarce. The price of land is relatively low, wages are low, raw materials are cheap. The possibility of exporting capital is created by the entry of numerous backwards countries into international capitalist intercourse. Main railways have either been built or are being built there. Elementary conditions for industrial development have been created. The necessity of exporting capital arises from the fact that in a few countries, capitalism has become overripe. And owing to the backward state of agriculture and the impoverished state of the masses, capital cannot find profitable investment. And that's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, that's very, very rich. And some of it is something where people might go, that that seems a bit outdated, and it's not necessarily. It's really not. Um, so when they say talk about like capitalism can't raise the standard of living, remember this was the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. And some people are thinking like, well, our life expectancy is like 70-something now. It was like maybe 50 then. You know, We like, have iPhones. The standard of yeah, living has obviously it's increased. iPhones, right. Uh, but we don't we don't have fucking health care. We're stressed out all the time. We can't see straight. The I mean, families do... It, the right-wingers will, will scaremonger and crumble and obsess with the colonial construct of the nuclear family. But families themselves and relationships do really crumble under yeah. capitalism. But even these raised life expectancies, right? That's a twofold thing. One, technology, computers spurt it out, and they're kind of separate from any economic type of development. They can advance technology so much that everyone's standard of living is going to go up just because you know technology is going to advance us so much. But also, really, what's happened the last hundred years since a year after this book was published, that wasn't there all of the capitalism leading up to this point. It wasn't another hundred years of capitalism. It was all of a sudden socialism was around. Yeah. And the standard of living everywhere shot up. Yeah. Huh. That's strange. Additionally, the standard of living isn't as much better as people really think. No. Um, especially if you're in the global south. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, that... That should always go without saying that. It, yeah. You know, oh, capitalism. I mean, no, it, it does. There's always a place where capitalism is making somebody's life exponentially worse. If it's not yours in particular, you should not have to look very far. But if you really want to look, you can look in your own community and find someone that capitalism is fucking. But if we include the global south, all bets are off because Jesus. Yeah, and we'll include whenever we say global south, we're also talking all colonized people. So we're including Ireland. We're of course including indigenous people in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and South America too, but you know, I mean, we're talking from a, a, a imperialist power perspective. So in North America, you know, our indigenous people up here, um, and then of course, you know, I mean, 
other ways you look at life expectancy, it doesn't exactly not suck to be homeless all of a sudden. No. And even when you look at our life expectancy, it's it's just below Cuba's, right? Yeah. Um, Cuba's is like 79.8 years, and ours is like 79.1 or 78, something in that range. It's, something in there. It's, it's about a year less than Cuba's. But ours is heavily skewed by the ruling class. I uh, and that's the other thing is this is this that all this life and all of these things when you try and boil them down to to these these easy to look at statistics, it's the same argument that people make with GDP. Mm-hmm. GDP is a meaningless fucking thing to measure yourself by at all because if one person has a billion dollars and the other person has a dollar. Your GD, your your average there is something to the effect of foot of five hundred million dollars. Yeah, I yeah. mean it, it's so fucking skewable and and not an actual reflection of your society that it, it, it it's kind of the fact that we even still talk about it is asinine. Well, we have a concept of net worth because capitalism just does that. It's kind of yeah. bullshit, but it's part of capitalism. Yeah, uh, we're you know the United States is the richest country in the in the world. I think it's like sixty or sixty five percent of Americans have zero net worth or less than a thousand dollars of net worth. I mean the the there was the there was a study released and they do them fairly frequently. Um, but there was a they they update it and it get, keeps getting worse and worse and worse. It feels like um. Uh, people in this con- people in America, if if you had an expense of four hundred dollars, it was something to the effect of seventy three percent of people would not be able to cover that expense without borrowing some form of it, without accruing oh, yeah. some kind of interest. They could not do it without going into some form of debt mm-hmm. to cover it. Seventy percent of people would lose their dwelling, and of course, most people aren't homeowners, but that's some homeowners. That's a lot of renters losing where they rent. Seventy percent of people would lose their dwelling if they lost their job for a month. And I mean, that's very much the you you are given um, the means of subsistence and are exchanging your only asset labor. It's that's it explicitly. Yeah. And it, 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 it keeps you so again. And we're going to we're going to get into this more. asset. Your only commodity. I'm sorry. No, we're, we're going to get into this in the next chapter. But it's it's again, look at what we had. A, we had a, we have we have booms, we have busts and and oh, well, you know, it's, it's just the nature of the system and it's booms and busts. And there's the, all that again. One group of people consistently make out like bandits every single time, whether it's boom or bust, mm-hmm. and it's always, always, always capitalists. Mm-hmm. Everybody else gets fucked. And of course, you know, I mean, we all know about outsourcing jobs and doing it for cheaper wages and, and things like that. So, you know, again, we'll talk about. I mean, all these ideas of America standing a living being so high—that's just the richest of the rich. And really, even within the imperial powers, every American is within the riches of the rich. And then you go around the world, and the global south is full of capitalism. They're not getting that standard of living. No. You know, so again, as Lenin says, but if capitalism did these things, it would not be capitalism. For uneven development and wretched conditions of the masses are fundamental and inevitable conditions and a premises mode of production. The standard of living can go up and up and up and up and up for the ruling class. It's killing the masses, and it still and it, very much is. And it's back to it's back to capital, and it's back to that end of capital where it is <laughs> if you let capitalism go to its logical conclusion, it is an accumulation of wealth and 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 power at one pole and accumulation of misery and poverty and despair at the other pole. And it will always keep ripping itself towards those extremes the, the longer it's allowed to continue. Yeah. So now we have, you know, I mean, uh, the superfluousness. Um, it's it's spilling over. It's it's too much. And so that polarization is happening. It, it already was set in place by colonialism, which, 
of course, bore capitalism out of it. They go hand in hand. You can't really split them. And this no. is a kind of cycling back around where capitalism reproduces it. And it's not always a guy lands on a ship and plants a flag <laughs> and says, you know, I'm here in the name of England. No. It's, you know, they, they do it with, with trade agreements and with bank loans and stuff like that yes. from the superfluity of capital. So really what they're exporting is capitalist relations, and you know, that- and, and that stretching of the taffy now is going on between capitalists and and the proletarian within a country, between capitalists and the proletarian of another country, and inherently because of that, the country where the capitalists reside uh, is stretching away from the country where they're totally proletarian, they're subjugated as, as part of the global south. Yeah. And it, there was also, someone tweeted, uh, uh, where where was it? Who, make sure citations are here. Uh, come on, come on, come on. I knew I thought, Com- yeah, comrade, uh, oh, fuck, I don't know, Taiwanese, uh, comrade Jingju? You? Uh, uh, he's the, on parole. He's been a featured man on proles. He is a uh, a communist uh, rapper. He's been to uh, recently, I think, got back from a trip to the DPRK, um, and and there was a there was a discussion going on of, of we're talking about quality of life, you know, standard of living. Um, they were getting into a because the common thing that you hear in North Korea, other than it being a giant slave labor camp, um, is, is that everyone is starving and dying. Right. Which is, of course, absurd. Absurd. I mean, how would they survive? <laughs> Number of malnutrition deaths per 100,000 people in the DPRK. Same of that as Luxembourg, hmm. according to the World Health Organization. So that led to a more furthering kind of a conversation of, well, what does malnutrition look like globally and how does that rank? And you see some obvious ones. Like, there are countries where people are not malnourished. You know, we don't, you don't have a big malnourishment problem. Everyone's, everyone's doing great. Um, but then there's some weird, like, France... Uh, yeah, is right sandwiched between uh, Argentina, the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, the Bahamas, and then there's France. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a little bit concerning. Um, and, and obviously, you look at the countries where it's where it's extremely low. Um, you know, places that don't have uh, deaths from malnutrition almost at all. Uh, you know, the low, Vietnam has almost none, like at all. Um, United Kingdom, yeah, whatever. South Korea, yeah, you know, fine. Australia, Turkestan, Slovakia, Israel, hey, you fun colonizing bastards. Um, <laughs> where did the U.S. fall? United States, yeah. So again, all those countries I just mentioned are better than the U.S. The U.S. still has, I think it's point six four, um, in terms of deaths per thousand people from malnutrition. Somalia, obviously, and if you look at where does it, where does it traditionally the highest? Where is it getting it just horrible? Oh look! It's this big colonized band of Africa that we've done nothing but extract resources out of and completely cripple. Oh yeah, even what you read earlier—that it's you know comparable to France, right? Yeah. Um, you have a bunch of colonized capitalist countries, and then Venezuela, and Venezuela is getting trucked with yes. sanctions, right? Oh now. my god! You know, like in, to, to a to a degree that is that is outrageous. And I mean, mm-hmm. again, places that have a better better less malnutrition than than France. Uh the Czech Republic, North Korea, Turkey, Iraq, Kazakhstan. It's uh, amazing thinking Iraq right now. Yeah, seriously. Egypt. Uh like it's 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 outrageous. And then again, the United States right there, right in between Costa Rica, Egypt, and again, two spots higher than the United States in terms of deaths by malnutrition, China. So again, there is and, and China's population is absurd. Exactly, and 
tons of it is rural, so it is hard logistically to make sure people are fed if the weather goes haywire and, yeah. and yet, global warming's a thing. Amazing how planning your economy out can somehow mitigate those sorts of disasters. Mm-hmm. So again, this is you quality of life, and these all come from worldlifeexpectancy.com. Again, this you can vet this however you want in terms of where they get their numbers. I think the numbers come from the World Health Organization, which obviously has its own fun um, problems, just in case. Sure. But um, but yeah, it's it is. To think that the you know that the 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 Western powers or the 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 first world somehow passed all this is is no, not even a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Lenin's gonna continue. Oh, actually, I just do want to acknowledge that it did like skip some statistics. Oh yeah, God, yes, let's acknowledge the statistics that we skipped about capital investment abroad, guys. Woo! Yeah, uh, there go- guys. There's a whole reason you're listening to this instead of the audiobook for this. It's because <laughs> we're skipping the fucking statistics that you don't care about. Yes. You're welcome. But the point Lennon's going to make is before the war, capital had invested abroad by three principal countries amounted to between 175 and 200 billion francs. Francs, whatever. At a modest rate of 5%, this sum brought in from 8 to $10 billion a year. Yeah. This provided a solid basis for imperialist depression and the exploitation of most of the countries and nations of the world. A solid base for the capitalist parasitism of a handful of wealthy states. Mm. So the wealthy states suck yeah, off the other ones. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and they do that intentionally because once you hit a certain point of capitalist development, that's your next step. That's mm-hmm. that's phase two. That's you hit. I'm not convinced that 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 this is not again. Civiliz- Sid Meier is on to something with that civilization game because again, you, you you conquer your people around you, then you you get tributes from your city states. Yeah, you do that, and then the end game is when you've got nothing else to do, you go to fucking space, and I, it's what they all do. It's it's a very accurate simulation of life. Mm-hmm. So we're going to skip some more statistics. Yeah, yeah. And we're yeah. going to go to the principal spheres of investment of British capital are the British colonies, which are very large also in America, for example, Canada, as well as in Asia. In this case, enormous exports of capital are bound up with the possession of enormous colonies, of the importance for which imperialism we shall speak later. In regard to France, the situation is quite different. French capital exports are invested mainly in Europe, particularly in Russia, at least 10 billion francs. This is mainly loan capital in the form of government loans, not investments, and industrial undertakings. Unlike British colonial imperialism, French imperialism might be termed usury imperialism. In regard to Germany, we have a third type. The German colonies are inconsiderable, and German capital invested abroad is divided fairly evenly between Europe and America. Yeah, that French uh, usury imperialism, guys. Um, uh, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to fall into this trap. But uh, we're we're gonna have to talk about the Rothschilds a little bit here in a minute. <laughs> it's mm. it's coming up in chapter five. We'll but uh, when they reference that, when they reference uh, the the French usury imperialism, they they're they're kind of right stuck in the center of that. Yeah, yeah. But again, I mean, we're. we're He's differentiating. There's three different forms of this, you know, and they yes. come from the three big powers. You're going to have very explicit colonies and very explicit export relationships with those colonies. Continue their subjugation. Yep, that's the British. Uh, you're going to have loans where you're going to be subjugated by the interest rates and by the fact that you need to turn to that country for loans. There's a reason Thomas Sankara preached so much, so much about non-reliance and their own food production yeah. and and things like that when he was leading Burkina Faso uh, because this is a very explicit way that France colonizes. Yes. Okay? Yes. Um, and uh, German is, Germany is... They're a fun hybrid of both. They kind of yeah. spread it out. They're the, they're the middle ground. 
Yeah, they're the middle ground. They don't have explicit colonies that they they uh, uh, do business with on the whole, but they have some colonies, and they'll do that. And then they do some loans. They, they do a little bit of everything, a meager amount of colonies, a bunch of loans, get everything they can. They're the jack-of-all-trades, master of none of yes. imperialism. Yes. Uh, and, of course, you know, I mean, that will make more sense if you think about World War One and how Germany... I'll- yeah, I mean, amazing how these conditions that capitalism sets up kind of create all of the conflict in the world mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Weird. Yep. Uh, so then Lennon continues, the export of capital greatly affects and accelerates the development of capitalism in those countries to which it's exported. While therefore the export of capital may tend to a certain extent to arrest development in the countries exporting capital, it can only do so by expanding and deepening the further development of capitalism throughout the world. The countries which export capital are nearly always able to obtain advantages, the character of which throws light on the peculiarities of the epoch of finance capital and monopoly. So he's going to talk about that by turning to die bank. Yeah! But, I mean, just, just to be very clear, what he's saying is it's almost like they're, they're slowing the capitalism progression in their own countries. Uh, and so they're exporting it and developing the other countries. And they always talk about they're developing and they're civilizing and stuff like that. But they're not really, I mean, to some extent they're industrializing, but they're not really, like, bringing forth technology into the other countries. No. What they're doing is they're taking the capitalist relations and they're And they're fine. Again, when they develop these countries, they're, they're developing very specific things, very specific orders. They're not developing ways for them to be self-sustaining. They're developing railways and refineries and wells and 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 mines and all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then most efficient ways to get all of that natural material from that point back to the mother country because that's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they will develop their infrastructure just so much as it is useful to them to get shit out of that country quicker. Yep. So in Die Bank, they say, a comedy worthy of the pen of Aristophanes... Aristophanes, you Philistine! God damn it. Of Aristophanes is being played just now in the international money market. Numerous foreign countries from Spain to the Balkan states, from Russia to the Argentine, Brazil and China are openly or secretly approaching the big money markets and demanding loans, some of which are very urgent. The money market is not at the very moment very bright, and the political lookout is not yet promising. But not a single money market dares to refuse a loan for fear that its neighbor might grant it some and so secure some small reciprocal service. In these international transactions, the creditor nearly always manages to get some special advantages, an advantage of a commercial political nature, a coaling station, a contract to construct a harbor, a fat concession, or an order of guns. Boy, that one should be familiar. That's Jesus Christ. And it, it's, again... How is this not the mafia? (laughs) Like, how in the fuck is this not just explicitly the mafia? 100%. But let's think about it, too. You know, you have to. You have to take out the loans to develop your infrastructure through these dependent loans. And this is, of course, before there was the socialist countries and stuff like that. So yep. now there's another way around it, as you can, and you get beat up and demonized and stuff, a la Cuba, Venezuela, Vietnam, Laos, you know, all those. Uh, but basically, you know, you're, you're in a race, right? And this was like, uh, it's almost the, the weird reverse paradigm of the capitalists racing to get the technology, get that profit advantage. Now you're in a race that you get the advantage of the good trade with the capitalist countries. And so everybody's suckling up and suckling up and suckling up and begging them for it. You know, it's kind of, it's 
it's like a much more political raw material way of the way say the Gates Foundation operates where like everybody gives the Gates Foundation good press yes. because as long as they do it and they do it just right, they might just get the next grant from the Gates Foundation, and, right? And and trust me, we could put a pin in that because we're going we are explicitly going to cover this in the next chapter. Because we're going to have to talk about J.P. Morgan and my brain is going to wither away slightly yeah. more than it already has. But but when they're doing this, every time these little agreements are done, now there's more subjugation, right? The capitalist country has this special trade agreement for them. So, yeah, we'll build you a railway, right? And you're going to give us a coal mine and you're going to send the coals up this railway to me. You know, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll give you some airplanes, and we'll even fuel in midair for you, okay? Just just make sure you're buying these weapons and keeping them supplied. And Oh, you don't have anything to bomb? Oh, there's a little socialist poor country called Yemen right below you. Why don't you go genocide them? Sounds good? Yeah, cool. We'll, we'll say it's your desire and, and we have nothing to do with it, and then we'll fuel your planes midair. I mean, that's it's a good agreement, right? It's a good agreement. And so, you know, that's that's the kind of thing you see, yeah. right? And, and Lenin saw that, and it raised a lot of tensions when there wasn't just one hegemonic country across the land. And yeah. it's not like there still aren't tensions. It's not like the U.S., you know, Russia is capitalist now and the U.S. doesn't have tensions there, yeah. you know, but it was very, very explicit in Europe at the time. So Lenin's going to say, finance capitalists created the epoch of monopolies and monopolies introduced everywhere monopolist methods. The utilization of air quote connections mm. for the private does sound very mafia-like. It's so goddamn mafia! It is. I do. <laughs> I'm suddenly thinking of the Mitchell and Webb, the uh, unnecessary vague language from the, oh, the villain guy. Yeah. Um, un- and that's it. Unnecessarily ambiguous language. So look, yeah. look that up. It's pretty funny. Uh, so anyway, the utilization of connections for profitable transaction takes place of competition on the open market. Again, the thing that everybody seems to claim is the linchpin of capitalism. <laughs> right. Uh, the most usual thing is to stipulate that part of the loan that is granted shall be spent on purchases in the country of issue, particularly on orders for war materials or for ships. In the course of the last two decades, 1890 to 1910, again, dating when this was, mm-hmm. uh, France often resorted to this method. The export of capital abroad thus becomes means for encouraging the export of commodities. In these circumstances, transactions between particularly big firms assume a form bordering on corruption, as Schindler delicately puts it. <laughs> but say, the bordering on corruption is absolutely in air quotes. Yes. <laughs> absolutely hard air quotes. Yeah, and then it'll cite another couple countries... Uh, from the past. And then I'm going to skip down a little bit yeah. uh, past the French loans to Russia. Nice. Because I, I don't know if we need all those details. No, 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 no. Eventually, yeah. Beat the, beat the point in the ground. They yeah. loaned money. That is an extortionary thing. So we're going to go do a report on Austro-Hungarian consul at Sao Paulo, Brazil. And this consul states, the construction of the Brazilian rare... The construction of the Brazilian railways is being carried out chiefly by French, Belgian, British, and German capital. And the financial operations connected with constructions of these railways, the countries involved also stipulate for orders for the necessary railway material. Fine, we'll build you the railway, but you got to buy the steel from us. you got to buy the, the uh, spikes from us. you know, you got to buy this and this and this from us, right? Thus, finance capital, and now we're back to Lenin, thus finance capital, almost literally, one might say, spreads its net over all countries of the world. Banks founded in the colonies or in their branches play an important part of these operations. 
German imperialists look with envy on the old colonizing nations, which in this respect are well established. In 1904, Great Britain had 50 colonial banks with 2,279 branches. In 1910, there were 72 banks with 5,449. France had 20 with 136 in 1904. Holland, 16 with 68 branches. Germany had a mere 13 with 70 branches. And again, if you don't... And this is being written mid-World War One, right? World War One. we're about two years... This is 1916, I think? Yeah, so this yeah. is very much mid-World War And so you can tell... A lot of this is you can tell, you know, Lenin is projecting... Uh, is trying to project a very Marxist analysis for World War One on the German intentions. It's not national interest. It's not any of that. It is literally... Well, all these guys have all these colonies, and look how that's making them better. We don't have that. We're, how, how, well, we can't get that through normal methods. We obviously we don't have the leverage there. The only way outside of the capitalist system to break that hegemony is war. Yeah, and that makes sense from what we talked about with the history. You know, you had Prussia, and Germany was broken up into a billion states, and then Otto von Bismarck and, and some other leaders that shuffled in and out of there uh, did three major wars for German reunification, and essentially Germ uh, unified Germany and set up a bunch of treaties. Well, this made all of the powers around them very, very tense, yep. and... Otto von Bismarck was kind of pushed out of the way by uh, Kaiser Wilhelm II, uh, old uh, blood quantum Navy man. <laughs> Spiky hat moron. Spiky hat, moron. Spiky hat 23 and me, fucking idiot. And, and we can name all these names and the actions, but what it really came to is German had to unify and, and build these peace treaties to become a power to compete with these other guys. And then once it was a power, it rapidly industrialized. Yep. Like it was, it leaped ahead of England, which is absurd, okay? Yeah. And it was the industrial epicenter of Europe and it immediately was spilling over. It had to go somewhere. And right. everywhere else they'd already... Every, it was already filled the up. The Monopoly had board had already been bought. There was nowhere else to land. Right. They could not pass go. They could not collect $200. And, and there is no option in Monopoly for declare war on Boardwalk. Right. So they made up a new game. It's called Risk. Right. And so, they, I mean, that's exactly what happened. And so they're like, push, they're, they're doing other shaky alliances with everyone in sight that's not got their own alliances. And most everybody else is afraid of Germany growing. And so they've got their own alliances. And then they're trying to branch out to colonialism. I mean, obviously, this is the, the Moroccan issues, you know, mm -hmm. came from this. Right. I mean, he wanted to compete in a naval way with England so that they can build colonies. This was the spilling over, the material spilling over of this industrialization. Yep. And Germany seeking power. And all of a sudden, everything came to a head. And there's a reason that Austria-Hungary crumbled into nothing in spite of being part of these powers. Okay, And Europe just slapped Germany down. There's a reason the Treaty of Versailles was in Versailles. Yeah. Okay, and, and this ended when Russia pulled out and started doing socialism. And there's another reason why after that, Germany still already incredibly industrialized suddenly had to expand again. And we had a whole other world war. Yeah. That's it, that. That is a untold. I mean, the amount of industrialization that they were able to accomplish. If this was, and, and we talked about this early on, um, if those, if these methods of capitalism were put to actual use of improving their their the people's lives. Think of what you could have accomplished yeah. with that amount of industrialization. Oh, yeah. I mean, you would not... Capitalism would have not crumbled into fascism. And before it did that, it almost crumbled into socialism. But there's way too much performance in Germany. We've we're talked about that. Gowski. During state and revolution. But it wouldn't have fallen 
to you know the failings of reformist and in turn uh, fascism if people were more satisfied with their living conditions mm -hmm. they could have been satisfied with living conditions they produced enough but that wouldn't have been ca it wouldn't have worked it was capitalism that yeah. could not have worked and it's why you can't and we're going to get to it in the next chapter but it's why these monopolies never ever end up working in the they, they intentionally can't work when a when the state owns the means of production it can dictate it where it needs to go, and it is not at interest of making a profit to a piece of shareholder. It needs to keep itself sustainable because it has to keep going. That's obviously its interest. It's not. An, it's not. They're not dumb, but it has no interest in, in in maximizing profit at the expense of their people because the people are the base of their power. Yeah, and I mean, let's be very clear. Even when they went, because that's a little beyond this book, World War Two. But even when when they went to to being Nazi Germany, it's not like they hit Nazi Germany and then all of a sudden there was war everywhere, and they they were just picking wars with everyone they no. could see. I mean, look at how they thought of communists. It still took them several years, and they went through a peace treaty over Poland that they undercut. But <laughs> they went through a peace treaty over over Poland with the USSR because they wanted to to supply things. They wanted to grow. They wanted the weapons to expand. No, no. It's because Nazis and communists are the same thing, David. It's because Nazis and communists are the, the same thing. They're base. best friends. For Stalin who wants, and Hitler are best friends. If anyone ever rips on Molotov uh, uh, Ribbentrop, by the way, just remember that that exported two to three million Jews out of out away from Nazi death yeah. um, and the deeper into the Soviet Union. That was saving... Uh, a third of, of the people that would have died in the Holocaust. Unfortunately, far more people than still died. Far more but. people than that Schindler guy saved, and they didn't get a movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, that's the it, it, again. It's all monopoly. You know, Germany was very monopolistic. They got completely bitch slapped in World War One, and then as they were coming up with things, the Nazi you know uh, economic structure was privatization. Yep. Was create monopolies, sign these cartel-type agreements that you're exporting everywhere with the government itself, and all of a sudden you got to export again. Yeah. And, and you got you got to restore the, you know, Holy Roman Empire or whatever. you gotta, you got to go out. And there's a reason they want to restore the Holy Roman Empire, and they definitely went east first, both for that and for their ideological enemies actually being communists. But they also pretty quickly went west. There was no reason other than maybe some 150-year-old grudge with France to go to France, but no. they needed shit. Yeah. They needed shit. Desperately. So Lenin's going to continue. Uh, the American capitalists, in their turn, are jealous of the English and German. Obviously, that's David. <laughs> We've passed them. Uh, so I'll skip the rest of the paragraph. I just, I had to, to point yeah, out to yeah. remember when we're reading about, but we just commented on it, so. Yeah. Uh, one one paragraph down. The capital exporting countries have divided the world among themselves in the figurative sense of the term, but financial capital has actually led to the actual division of the world. Dun dun dun. Transition and it, statement. And if you don't believe, we're gonna get to how the world is divvied up. You, you haven't been paying attention, and that's coming next week with next chapter five. Next week, guys. This has actually been a fairly close to concise episode. This is pretty quick. This yeah. was pretty quick. Next chapter should be pretty quick too. So if you've got friends that are complaining that they take an hour and a half, you know you've got you've got a couple reasonably sized ones that you can shove down their yeah. throat for a couple hours. Yeah, you ask, we deliver. We, but none of you asked for that, but that's okay. Also, <laughs> Nathan has to play D and D at nine o'clock tonight, so we've got a hard deadline. Let's keep him tight. Let's keep it tight. Go. Go. Ah. ah. Never mind. Moving on. See you next week. All right. Bye. Bye.